talked about chapter 1 where basically what happens is Paul writes to these people in this town called Ephesus. Paul spent about two years there. He was gone for about four, ended up in prison. While he's in prison, he writes back to him and says, hey, I've got some things I want to make sure you guys understand. This became what was called a circular letter, which means although it was written to the people at Ephesus, they shared it with all the churches around them. So it kind of traveled around. So a lot of the churches um, got to read it. Um, the, the, the book of Colossians ends up kind of being the same thing. So a lot of these books, uh, the book of Philippians, a lot of these books, although they were addressed to certain places, would then get passed on and, and shared with the other places. So when Paul writes to the people at Ephesus, this is a town that is really steeped in witchcraft and sorcery and those kinds of things. And, and Paul wants them to understand very clearly, first of all, why, what God did in saving them. So he spends the first three chapters talking about that. And then he's going to spend the, next, the last three chapters in the book tell, applying it, saying, okay, now because of all of this, this is what you ought to do. So you find a lot of the practical stuff um, in, in Ephesians 3, 4, or 4, 5, and 6. You find a lot of the doctrinal kind of stuff in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So I believe it's really important that you have a good foundation um, of the doctrinal stuff the theology stuff, in order to understand the practical stuff. And, and you see that often in the New Testament. The book of Romans, when it was written, um, Paul spends six chapters in Romans talking about doctrinal and theology and understanding concept. He spends three chapters talking about history of Israel. Then he comes to chapter 12 uh, where he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, and then 12 through 16 are all this practical stuff that often we quote out of. Um, and, and so often you see that pattern in the scripture. So it's important when we're looking at a book that we don't just blow off the, the hard stuff, the, the theology, that kind of stuff, because it gives us a foundation for the practical. When you understand this, it's easier to apply. So that's, that's why we kind of keep going over and over this stuff. You're going to see that this morning. Paul's already laid out a lot of foundation about your salvation. He's talked in chapter 1 about the idea that God um, blessed you, God chose you, God adopted you. He talks about the idea that Jesus Christ has redeemed you, he has forgiven you, he has poured out his grace upon you. He talks about the Holy Spirit that helps you understand the things of God and seals you, makes you his own. And then he talks about the idea that he prays for them to have understanding. Then you get to chapter 2 which we've been talking about, and Paul says, look, I want you to understand where you came from. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. And God raised you up, and Jesus Christ raised you up, and you're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And then last week, we talked about the idea that you are saved by grace. It's not anything you can earn. It's not anything you can work for. There's nothing you can do. God just decided to pour out his grace upon you and you are saved by putting your faith and trust in Christ alone. And we talked about that. And we talked about the idea that when, you, when God did that, he, he, you are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship. You are his, his artwork, if you will, that, that to take into the world so that the world can see God and see Christ in your life. This morning we get into Paul again. He wants to go back so that they have a good understanding of where they came from. And some of this is lost on us because we, we don't live in this culture. So 
Um, I'll give you a little cultural context as we go along, and hopefully it'll help you understand it. So let's start Ephesians chapter 2. Here's where he starts. He says this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those which called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. And then he goes on to say this, but now, just like before we saw but God in the early part of chapter 2, he says, but now Christ, Jesus, who you were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So let's kind of back it up and try to understand this whole Jew, Gentile, circumcision, uncircumcision, foreigners, alienated, all that kind of thing. What you need to understand is that when um, God established a covenant with his people, uh, Israel, uh, the Bible is very, very clear. Um, Israel didn't do anything uh, to get that special favor with God. God decided that, one, that there were people on this earth that were going to be his people. And he chose the Israelites, the Jews. They didn't do anything for it. Just like by grace you're saved, there's nothing you could do. It was God just simply said, these are my people. There was nothing inherently, there was no inherent reason that God should have chosen them. Uh, Leviticus is clear about that. But God said, they're going to be my people. And he made them his people. And he established a very unique relationship with them. And he said, everybody else is going to have all kinds of gods. You're going to have one God. And I'm going to be that God. And this is how you're to live. And this is how you're to live among people. So that the people can see me. What happened is, in the course of that, over history, the Jews took great pride in that. The Jews took great pride in that the God of heaven was their God. To the point that it was exclusive. To the point that even if you were a Gentile and you converted to Judaism, you were considered a second-class Jew. You were not considered because you weren't born a Jew. So in the, in the, in the Jewish world, the only, way, the only way that you were considered Jewish, true Jewish, is if you were born Jewish. And Paul writes to these people... And, and, of course, the mark of that was, was circumcision. That was, a, that was a, a defining mark for them. Paul writes to these people and he says, listen, you guys at Ephesus, you were Gentiles. By the way, that's us. We're Gentiles. I mean, you might be Jewish, and if you're Jewish, you know, you were part of that Jewish group. But most of us are Gentiles, okay? In other words, we didn't have any access to God. If you were a Gentile living in this century, um, let me give you a little bit of Let's say I'm Jewish, okay? So I got my little yarmulke on, and, and, and I ask you to go with me to the temple. So let's, let's do it as a couple. So a husband and wife are going with me to the temple, okay? So uh, Phil and Kira, okay? Let, I'm going to use Phil and Kira. That's why you don't sit close to the front. Um, anyway, so Phil and Kira, and I say, hey, Phil, let's go to the temple. Now, they're Gentiles. I'm Jew, okay? Well, what happened is, is we got to the temple area. I would look at Kira, and I'd say, Kira... You need to stay here. You can go no further than this. This is the court of women. No, no women are allowed past this part right here. So, Kira, you need to stay here. Uh, Phil, let's go. So, Phil and I walk, and then I say, excuse me, Phil, right now we're in the court of the Gentiles. And this is, you're not allowed to go any farther than this. Since I'm Jewish, I can keep going, and I can go and now worship God. Meanwhile, 
Kira's standing back there and Phil's standing there. And I'm worshiping God. That was the culture. That was the culture. And Paul writes to them, and, and his words are, it's interesting how he lays all of this out. He says, you need to understand, as a Gentile, man or woman, you, you were cut off. And he uses this, again, he starts with this whole idea of circumcision, uncircumcision. And, and there's this play on imagery here. And he says, you were cut off, you were alienated. You were foreigners. You were strangers. You had no access here. Only the Jewish people got to go here. This is as far as you could go. And as a Gentile, what he's saying to these people is, you need to remember, you could, without Jesus Christ, you could not get any farther than those walls. And they, were little, they weren't like big walls. They were just little partition walls. And he's saying, you need to understand, you were foreigners, you were strangers, you were alien, you were separate from God. And then he drives home this idea. In fact, in the Jewish world, do you know that the Jews prayed every morning, dear God, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile? I mean, that's, that's the, the caliber of, of, of animosity, if you will, between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul says, that was you. That was me. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, all that stuff's gone. Because of the cross, even a Jew could not go into the Holy of Holies. That was only for the high priest and only once a year. Now, because of the cross, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and It's very important. It's not just the cross, it's the blood. Because of the blood now, you have access into the throne of God as a believer. There was all this separation up until now, but now because you've become a Christian, you have access to go. So if you're a woman here this morning, you have access to walk past that wall, past the Gentile wall, past that, past that, into the Holy of Holies. If you're a man, you have the same access as a child of God this morning. And Paul's trying to get them to understand that. Notice what he goes on to say. <clears throat> he goes on to say this. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, who has destroyed the barrier, all these little walls. This made perfect sense to, to this audience. The dividing wall of hostility. I mean, you can imagine these are my friends. You know, Phil and Kara, these are people I've gone out to eat with. And I look at them and say, okay, look, you're not good enough to go any farther than this, Kara. Phil, you're not good enough to go any farther than this. I'm going to go worship God. You think that would build a little animosity? He says, destroyed the wall, dividing the wall of hostility, setting aside in his flesh the law and his commands and his regulations. His purpose, talking about Christ, was to create in himself one New humanity out of the two, Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace. Notice what he goes on to say, verse 16. For in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death their hostility. This animosity between Jews and Gentiles, this animosity between people, 
because of their, 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 their religion. All of a sudden now in Christ they become one. And he sees it as a new body. He sees it as something completely different. Not Jew, not Gentile, something completely different. You and I today would call that the church. Um, they, they actually consider themselves a third, a third creation, if you will, um, in, the, in the early history of it. And he says that. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him... We both have access to the Father by one spirit. Okay? And Paul lays out this idea. He says, you need to understand. And, and, and in here he deals with peace. He deals with it three times. And here's, here's basically what he's saying. He's saying, first of all, he is our peace. He has made peace and he preached peace. So let's walk through kind of each, each idea. Um, he, <clears throat> he is our peace. Um, let's talk about that for a second. Peace is not a concept. Peace is a person. And let me say it again. Peace is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Don't you remember the book of Isaiah? And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, the Prince of Peace. Peace starts with the person of Jesus Christ. You want to know why? The world can't get along. Because peace is not a concept, it's a person. It's the person of Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. Take him out of the con take him out of it. You can have get along kind of stuff, but to have genuine peace of heart, that only comes through Christ. <clears throat> One of the things that, that you have to understand is, and we're going to talk about this when we start to apply it. The Bible talks about peace. Um, with God, peace of God, and peace with others. What we're talking about here is, is peace with God. And he talks about this idea that he is our peace. And then it says he hath made peace. Um, because what happens is it is through Christ that we have peace with God and then we're allowed to have the peace of God in our hearts and in our lives. And then ultimately, as he says there, he has made peace with others. The idea is there's, a, there's, there's not the separation of Jew and Gentile and better than the other and, and, and all that. So let's talk about a couple things. That's the background of it. Let's talk about things to apply this week in our lives um, as we go. Um, uh, here's the first idea. The first idea is this, and it's this idea of you have to remember your past. Okay? Now, let me be careful here because let me tell you, Satan... Satan does this to you too. So let me help you define, distinguish between when Satan's bringing up your past and when God's bringing up your past. God brings up your past to help you appreciate grace and forgiveness and his goodness to you. Okay? So when God deals with your past, God, the response when it's, when it's from God is, God's been so good to me. Satan brings up your past to keep you from serving God. So if your response is, oh, I can't, you know, there's no way I should, you know, there's no way God can use me. That's, that's of Satan. That's not of God. Okay. Paul here in the first part of chapter two, and here again, Paul talks about their past because he wants them to understand where they've come from. He wants them to understand, look, <coughs> God has been very good to you. 
before you were a Christian, you were, you, there were all of these separations between you and God. Now, all of a sudden, God has removed all of that. God has been incredibly good to you. I think it's important that we don't forget how good God has been in saving us. Um, because I think it's easy sometimes for us to lose sight of this and to become critical and judgmental of other people. Um, when I was a youth pastor, um, the time that I was a youth pastor, it was, it was a different time in America and stuff like that. And we, we, we had a lot of people who, um, they would come to Christ out of these horrible backgrounds. Um, and um, they'd get saved, and it was great to see the grace of God and God's goodness to them and everything else. And um, as a youth pastor, they would come to me, and they would say, hey, you know, can I, can, can I, can I talk to the teenagers? Can, can, can I give them my testimony? And uh, a lot of times what was happening during that time is people would want to come in and they would tell the kids how horrible their life was. They'd talk about, you know, how many drugs they were using. They were using three times a day and they were doing this and, you know, they were drinking so much and doing all this stuff. And, and they, would, they, would, they would lay out their life of sin. <coughs> and then they would say, and God saved me from that. And the problem with it was, most of, a lot of those testimonies started to glorify sin and not glorify God. And it gave kids the wrong message. So when they would come to me, I would say, you know what, that's great if you want to share your testimony with the teenagers, but here's my rule. I don't want you to talk about any specifics of your past. I want you to talk about the grace of God in your life and how God saved you and what God's doing in your life now. And some of them would look at me and go, well, no, 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 I'm not interested in that. I'm like, well, I am. I am. Because I'm not interested in glorifying sin. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in talking about that. I'm interested in talking about what God's done in your life. And we got to this point where that was being done a lot, and we were sending kids the wrong message because kids took that as, hey, I can get away with all that stuff. I can do all that stuff, and I can get away with it, and then I can just repent. And, and my life will all be fine because they didn't tell them the rest of the story. They didn't tell them the scars and the difficulty and the hardship and all the pain. And so it, it was important because that's, that's how they looked at That's how the, it, that it was looked at. And the, the point is, you, when you, they would do that, and then here's, here's the other thing. When we would do those testimonies, you got people over here who spent their entire life making the right decisions and doing the right things and all that kind of thing. And they'd sit back and go, well, I ain't got a testimony like that. I learned a lot in time. I go, let me ask you something, okay? And you need to think about this because um, I think we miss this point. We miss this point with, with people. <clears throat> you take somebody, and we have people here who, who God has saved you from an incredible past. And it's, 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 it's an incredible story. And it is so neat to see what God's done in your life. Well, let me ask you something. Where is the grace of God greater shown? In the person who got involved in all this stuff and they got saved from it. Or the person over here who never had to experience any of it. See, I think the grace of God... In, in this person who has never had to go through the pain and the hardship and the difficulty and the scars of that is so much greater. 
Um, and I think we forget that. And I watch people. One, one of the problems is, you know, in, in my family, for instance, we're, I mean, we're going on like four or five or six generations of Christians in our family who were saved and spared from a lot of that. And the grace of God, as I look back, and, and God's goodness and stuff like that, I, 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 I'm overwhelmed by it. Because I look at how good God has been to me. And I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. And, and what happens here is people who get here sometimes, you think, well, I'm, I'm better than those people. Oh, no. That was the mistake of the Jews. The Jewish people thought they were better because God, God, they were God's people. They were special. God chose them. So they were better. No, 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 no. There was nothing they could do. It was all God. It was not them. This over here, this is all God. And how dare you for a moment think you're better because you didn't do that or you didn't go through that. That was God's grace to you. Value it, appreciate it, enjoy it. But don't be proud of it because you did something for it. Okay, rabbit trail. Okay, this is just a personal rabbit trail, so just because I like going down them every once in a while, okay? We do this as Americans. Where we start to think we're better than other people. Let me tell you something. You know what you did to be born in this country? Zip, zero, zilch. It was the grace of God that you were born here. I think this is the greatest country in the world. We got all kinds of problems. Love to see them all fixed. It's a great big mess, but it's still, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest country in this world. And you know what? God could have put, I could have been born in any other country too. I didn't do anything to get here. God, God's grace put me here. And I value it and appreciate it, but I'm not going to hoard it over anybody else to say I'm better than you because I'm an American. It was God's grace that put me here. Okay, okay I'm done. Um, but I think that's important. I think it's really important that we step back and realize what we have is because of God's grace to us today. And, and let's be honest, God's given us a lot. God's given us more than we deserve. You know, God's put us in a country with incredible resources. Go to, go to any other country and try to drive on their roads. You know, even if you're, even if you're, even if your um, road is not getting enough gravel, okay, uh, you know, uh, you would be amazed. You would be amazed. You know, you know, the water. You know, I had a friend, one of the kids that I had in, in youth group, they live out in the farm. They've gone seven days without water. They're going, we never, we never realized. You know, the, the, the well truck pulled up yesterday. They're like, oh, that was like the greatest sight in the world. Take so much for granted. Remember the past and what God has done to bring you where you are. You know, you go, well, it could be better. Look, God saved you, folks. God has made you his child. He has given you so, so, so much. Second thing is this. Peace originates with God. It's a person, Jesus Christ. It is our prayer that you have peace with God. You see, there are two camps. There's, there's, there's God's people and there's Satan's people. And when you were born, you were born in Satan's group. You were part of that team. <clears throat> you were the enemy of God. 
But God, as we talked about in chapter 1, God blessed you and chose you and adopted you and said, I want you to be part of me. I'm going to offer you this. And when you accepted it, you switched teams, so to speak. You now have peace with God. Okay? You have peace with God. That's a one-time deal when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have the peace of God because that's a lifelong thing where you learn to trust God. Where you learn to take those situations and circumstances that come into your life and say, God, I don't understand why, I don't understand how, but as best as I know, I'm going to trust you. And if you think that's a one-time lesson, you're in for a shocker. Because you will learn it over and over and over again as you go through this journey that we call life. And what you will find is during some of those times, there will be a peace that can only come from God. Where, um, I don't know how to explain it other than to say there are moments in which you sense the presence of God in a way that is way out of the norm. Um, And I've been fortunate in my life to be in some of those situations where for some reason there was a a peace that came over that you just knew God was there and God was at work. And the peace of God, as the scripture says, passes all understanding. It's not something you can explain or understand. And it's our prayer that as you go through life's journey that you will learn to experience that. Well, you will learn that, that I'm going to put my trust and faith in, in, in the person of Jesus Christ to get me through this. And God does. And he does it in incredible ways. And he does it in sometimes the oddest of ways. But he does. Well, I think personally it's one of the great treasures of being a Christian. Is to know that from the moment I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm never alone. I always have some place to turn. Um, I don't need my Bible. I don't need another person. I don't need some formula or some ritual. I have a personal relationship with Christ that I can turn to him during those times. That's the peace of God. And the last thing and the last application of this is he said to preach peace. The idea is that we are to be peacemakers. The idea is that in our lives, as we go through lives, we want to do the best that we can to make peace. One of the things that I think has happened in Christianity is we've become really good at fighting and very and very poor and, and do very poorly at making peace. Um, so let me make sure I'm very, very clear here. Peacemaking does not mean I agree. Peacemaking does not mean I back away. You look at the life of Jesus Christ, who was the Prince of Peace. There are times he confronted, there are times he stood up, there are times he didn't back down. That's part of being a peacemaker. There are times at which, that's why Romans says, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. There are situations in which I think you have to take a stand, and you have to take a stand for what's right. And you don't back down. But there are times... But the reality of it is, it's your pride that's keeping you from making peace. There are times that you know as well as I do, your tenacity to be on top, to get in the last word, means 
There's stuff that you need to let go of that you won't let go of. I live in a world where I see the reality of those kinds of decisions. I live in a world where, unfortunately, um, you see too much. And I watch people go down paths because they were angry or bitter or wouldn't let go of something. And when they stand at a casket, I watched all the regret come pouring out. I think of a situation that I watched where this person was just angry and did everything they could to hurt this person. And then that person unexpectedly died, and I I will never forget watching the agony, and I mean agony, of a person who almost couldn't stop crying for four days because of the guilt. Because when they had the opportunity to do it differently, they chose the wrong route. I, I'm, years ago, and I haven't watched it for a long time, but Dr. Phil, I used, to like, I used to like what Dr. Phil said. Somebody has to be the hero. Somebody's got to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to move on. And I want to challenge you with this idea. As a Christian, as one who has a relationship with the Prince of Peace, as one who has within them the ability to respond in love, kindness, tenderness, gentleness, meekness, goodness. Is there a situation where you need to simply step up and be the hero and say, you know what? If you want to hold it against me, that's your call. But from this point on, I'm letting it go. From this point on, um, I'm, I'm not going to go down that road. And by the grace of God, I'm going to do what I can to restore the relationship. The ball's in your court. When, when, when I have a situation where I have to take the high road or the low road, I'm going to take the high road. Let me talk just a minute to those of you who are divorced. I have not experienced the pain of a divorce. I have not experienced the pain of trying to be a single parent or trying to raise kids in that situation. My heart goes out to you. You are some of the people that are at the top of my prayer list because I, I, I know enough of how hard the battle is. My challenge to you is this. When you have the opportunity to take the high road or the low road, always take the high road. Always take the high road. Because I have watched it play out enough over time that as your kids get older, God will honor it. And if you take the low road, you'll regret it. It's an observation from life. For those of you that have family things where everybody's... Take the high road. Be the peacemaker. Be the one who steps in and says, you go, well, it's going to get messy and everybody's going to get mad at me. Yes, 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 but is it right? You go, well, I don't want to let this go. Okay, you know what? If you don't want to let it go, don't let it go. That's, that's between you and God. But here's my question to you, because this is my world. This is the reality of the world I live in. Are you going to be comfortable enough 
to go to a visitation service or to go to a funeral and see that person when you can't do anything about it and go, I'm glad I held to my guns. What I have found is that most of the stuff we hang on to were not that firm in the end that it was that important. And too many people say, I wish I woulda, coulda, shoulda, but now you're at the point of no return and you can't do anything about it. Paul here writes to these people and he says, listen, you need to understand you were far away from God, but God loved you enough to come to shed his blood so that you could have peace with God. And he, as peace, as the one of peace, made peace with you and gives you the ability to make peace with others. My challenge to you, life is too short. Don't live with the regrets of things that you should have fixed when you could have fixed them. You go, well, that person has written me off. You know what? Some, look, I cannot predict how the other person is going to respond. And, and I, I'm saying this as nicely as I can say it. I don't know how else to say it and not sound cold and cruel. But this isn't about the other person. This is about you. It's about your conscience and your heart before God. And so you want to know that you've done everything in your power. Because you have the ability to do that as a child of God. Paul writes to these people, and by the way, I don't have time to go into this. I wish I had time to go into this. In the culture at this time, Rome is in control. And Rome has established in all kinds of areas the peace of Rome. And it is done through power. And it is done through military might. And it is done through uh, the worship of, 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 of the emperor. And it is a controlling over rent where, where when, when people get out of control, the government jumps in and solves it and makes peace because the people live in this incredible amount of fear. And Paul writes to these people and says, let me tell you about a completely different kind of peace. It's a person who made peace and preached peace and gives you the ability to live at peace with other people. That's what a Christian should do. And he sets a whole new foundation for them. So I end this morning with this. Paul reminds us that as Gentiles, we were unable to have access to God. Through the blood of Christ and God's grace, salvation was offered to all. And it makes us all one in Christ. Peace with God is possible because of Christ. And peace with others is possible because we have experienced the peace of God. Make your relationships count this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's easy to talk about it. It's hard to do. Lord, we allow so much stuff to get in the way. Lord, we allow our pride and our uh, arrogance and our uh, lack sometimes, Lord, of 
real focus, to lose perspective and, and, and not understand, Lord, that uh, it doesn't end well. So help us, Lord, to do all we can to be peacemakers. Help us, Lord, to walk in such a way that the world sees us handling things differently. Lord, for those who may not have ever put their faith and trust in you, would you help them to do that this day? Would you help them to understand that, Lord, you have offered them a free gift, but it's not theirs until they accept it. For those of us that have accepted it, Lord, would you help us to understand we have the ability, we have the power, we have the mandate to live peaceably with those around us. So help us to do it, that people may see Christ in us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, Let's stand together. We're going to sing the first verse.